Hello and welcome to Recruiting in Hospitality from Catra.com. I'm Lance Hopner-Ryan, as ever, and in each programme we invite top names from the world of hospitality to discuss matters affecting employers. So recruitment, development, retention, all that really good stuff, the stuff we all live for. Well, you know what I mean, as well as other matters affecting uh, you and your teams. Now, a lot of people I know uh, have, uh, I'd call it irrational fears, but they're irrational because deep down we know it's never going to happen. You know, we're not going to be attacked by vampires. No one's going to come in through the night and stick pins in your feet. Yes, I know someone who's who's scared of that. There, um, my, my rational fear is being stuck in a wide, huge expanse, a body of water with no land in sight. <laughs> now, my guests today are actually choosing to do that. They're going to do that on purpose. Yeah, they're bananas. Would you please say hello to Chris and Robbie? They're doing, I mean, but, but I, I, I must say they're doing it for a good cause and we're going to find out all about it today. Guys, say hello. Hi, um, my name's Chris Mitchell and I am the CEO of Genuine Dining. And I am Robbie Laidlaw. I also work for Genuine Dining as Business Development Director. Right. I mean, I've, I've got to say, you don't look mental, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that we'll, we'll, you know, it will all come out. Guys, it's lovely to, to have you on the programme. It really is. I, I'm really, really happy to have you on today. Um, let's start really at the beginning. Let's get a bit of background. Tell me about your your involvement in hospitality, your backgrounds. What, what have your career paths been? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll go first. Um, I um, was at college studying to be a film editor, uh, and um, I didn't do that in the end. I, I got a job at McDonald's um, in Eastleigh in uh, Hampshire. What? Excuse me, sir, sir, why didn't it happen? Well, because I got this job in hospitality, um, and I um, started working at McDonald's while I was at college, and I uh, really enjoyed um, life in hospitality. And um, I went from McDonald's and worked at Compass, um, and then started my own businesses uh, in hospitality. Um, and I guess that culminated in where I am now, which is the CEO of uh, Genuine Dining. And I think, um, you know, I um, struggle with dyslexia. And I guess school and college, um, I don't think the schooling process particularly helps people that have dyslexia. It's very academic. Um, and I suppose when I started working at McDonald's, it was the first time that uh, I found something relatively easy. Um, and I just loved it. I love the fact that I, number one, was earning money. Number two, found it relatively straightforward. It was very um logical what i was doing um and latterly you know i always love food uh, which is my biggest problem with this road to be honest but um uh yeah i i just loved what i was doing um and i've stayed in hospitality ever since and i i don't think i ever really look back at that my fledgling film editing career for too long um and then 12 years ago led a management buyout of a company called yes dining um and yeah that that that's my story really so we 
now um, our business is split into various different sectors, but the, the, the largest part of that business is genuine dining, which so, so we feed people at work from hospitality in boardrooms down to tea points and um, coffee shops. Uh, we also own a fantastic business called the Admiral Crichton, which does events uh, and a business that caters into care homes, which is called Signature Dining. Fabulous. Very busy. Well, I, I've always kept myself busy. I mean, we're even more busy now. We've got this this also this road to do. So. Yeah, yeah. Robbie, what about you? What what what's your what's your story? Um, well, I started um, my career in hospitality in Edinburgh. I went to college to do event management and worked for six years for myself doing various roles across the event management um, sector. Uh, was then given the opportunity to come down to London. I started working for the Springboard charity and I was there for uh, a couple of years where I met Chris and Genuine Dining when we were organising a London to Paris bike ride uh, as a fundraiser. And not too long after that was then presented with the opportunity to come work for Genuine Dining. And that was almost five years ago now. So I've been down here uh, working at trying to grow the business with Chris and the team here. Well, it sounds like it's going very well. It's incredibly enjoyable. Meet some incredibly interesting people, Lance. I, I yes, oh, yes. I've yeah, I've noticed over the years myself. Actually, yeah, brilliant, fantastic. Um, well, look, working in the industry, it's got it. Like you've said, you've touched on. It's got many plus points, but um, it can also have its challenges. Um. You're doing this. Well, we're going to get onto the whole story about the, the the row, but the hospitality action. Why is it so important? Well, I did that. I mean, I, I think um, so. Hospitality action um, have always been a charity that we have found have done what they said they will do, and I've got some examples that maybe I'll share in a bit. But um, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think working in hospitality does have its challenges. I think that our particular sector is uh, relatively robust. And I, and I guess um, the, the main reason that we decided to do this row and support hospitality action was, I mean, the last three years haven't been that easy, if I'm honest. I think we, um, like every other hospitality business, found COVID particularly hard um, and it definitely affected i mean my, myself definitely from a mental point of view i think having built a business for 10 years at the time to see it decimated in two weeks was particularly challenging um and i i think that we had a lot of adversity through that period and that had a very large impact on our workforce um and through covid we did everything that we could for our staff but inevitably we had to make redundancies to our people. And whilst we tried to do everything that we could for our people, Hospitality Action were there to um, help pick up the pieces and build people back up that had worked in hospitality. So I think that that was the reason for, that's the reason why Hospitality Action. And I think, to be honest, up until that point, um, certainly my life through hospitality had been, um, really good. I don't think we did have that much challenge. I mean, there was always challenge, but I think 
COVID was definitely the biggest challenge. And the reason we wanted to do the row was number one, because it gave us something to focus on that wasn't work, um, which at the time was easy because there wasn't much going on. Um, equally, we wanted to, to give back to um, a charity that helped us so much. Uh, but I think now more than ever, with this cost of living crisis, I actually think that that's affecting our people more than um, than, than COVID did, because um, you know even though we have our workforce are all obviously employed, I think that you know it's our baristas and our chefs and our you know managers and ops managers and directors that are feeling the pinch from this this um, current cost of living crisis. So I think the reason for choosing hospitality hospitality actually because they were they were so great in what they did but um, I think now more than ever it's um it, it's you know giving back and it's something really important we also knew that we'd have to do something pretty crazy to get people to support our mission and we've always done as Robbie said that when I met Robbie was on a London to Paris bike ride that we were doing for Springboard um and we um found it hard to raise money through doing a London to Paris bike ride because I don't think it encapsulated people's imagination enough and maybe it's just that our competitors want to see us get eaten by sharks <laughs> um which you don't do when you're on a London to Paris bike ride but no. yeah no it's true that's very true all of these thoughts occurred to me as well yeah. as I was prepping for this 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 talk <laughs> um all right, whose idea was it? Where did it where did the idea actually come from for you two to row the Atlantic? Um, it comes back to that bike ride again, doesn't it? Yeah. We well steps of COVID, Chris and I were kind of brainstorming different harebrained ideas of what we could do to give back, like he said, to hospitality action. Um we wanted to do the bike ride again, to be honest. We wanted to do it slightly different. So set off from London to Paris, but then roll the channel. So a completely human powered journey all the way to Paris. We started looking at the boats that we could take us across the channel. It was roughly this time two years ago, and we came across some ocean rowing boats and then just stumbled across the Task Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And I don't know, something triggered in our brains. I think we, uh, we both knew that we needed to do something special. Maybe a row across the channel wasn't quite good enough. So we started having a little look into uh, what, what actually, what's entailed about, about rowing across the channel and um, across the ocean. And uh, I think the deciding factor was that you asked your wife, Danielle, and Danielle said, yes, absolutely. It sounds like a great idea. So by that point on, I don't think there was any, any going back. We had to do it. I think she was bored of me whinging about uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just get out. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. 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 That, well, Right. Well, I mean, did, it can't have been that just straightforward and easy. I mean, you must have looked at each other and thought, are we really going to do this? This this was this was three years. Uh, there was two years ago. So we had three years to the start of the race. And in any right. sort of um, challenge, we've always done challenges. We've done marathons. We've done ultra bike rides. We've done London to Paris bike rides and things like this. There's always a certain amount of lead time before you actually get to the start line, enough time to kind of compress it within your mind and get yourself set for it. Yeah. And we had three years to go at, at when we when we first signed up. And I think both of us back then probably didn't understand really what it was going to entail. 
um, the challenges of it and how difficult it was, not only to cross an ocean, but also to get to the start line. How difficult right, it was. Yeah, to, yes, of course. Jeez. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a really, there's a, there's a large logistical, operational, fundraising side of things that we've got to do before we even get to the start line. So these are all things that we had to do down the line. But I think in the space that we were at that time, in the middle of COVID, we needed something. We needed something to focus on. I think both of our mental health was um, badly affected during the pandemic. Um, I was myself in a in a very small flat in Brixton, locked up. I needed to get out and see people come back into the office, and I just needed something to focus on. And I think the role gave me that at that particular time. Um, as we've now progressed through the journey towards the start line, we've got a year to go now, and the last two years have absolutely flown by. And we've just uh, over a year to go until we leave for the start line. It's all becoming incredibly real. And all those anxieties that we had two years ago when we didn't know what our journey was going to look like have all come back again because all of a sudden the road is on top of us. We're in a much better place in terms of our mental side of things. Um, and from our, from our campaign side of things, we have our boat, our training is well underway. We've got some fantastic sponsors behind it and we're well on our way to, fund, to reaching our fundraising total. So a lot of work to do still. But I think with the uh, with the road just over a year to go and it actually becoming a reality, it's uh, starting to hit home again. I think it's really easy to sign up. I mean, we signed a form saying that we wanted to do it and gave them a deposit um, and then didn't really think that much of it, probably for the first year. Uh, it's probably in the back of our minds. And then um, the, the actual what, what actually happened was we started getting um, quite a lot of sponsorship and people supporting us and then we couldn't really turn around so we're kind of we're we're, we're neck deep now um but it but it you know i think that we're both really excited about what it can do for um the hospitality sector and i think one of the key things that we when you say do, that when you say that chris what do you actually mean yeah well i think so if i go back to i, I mentioned that i would say some stuff about hospitality hospitality action yeah. and what they've done for our business. So um, the first interaction I had or the business had with Hospitality Action was when the terror attacks happened in London Bridge. And at the time we had uh, a sushi restaurant called Feng Sushi yeah. in Stony Street. And um, our team were working uh, in the evening and uh, they, they had these big concertina doors at the, at the front of the, um, the restaurant that were open and they heard some commotion. Um, luckily, one of the chefs was upstairs and heard it and he was Steve, Steve, I was his name, and he was quite a intuitive, you know, he was quite a nosy guy, went outside to see what was going on uh, and saw this terrorist running towards the restaurant and literally managed to close the door uh, at the point that this terrorist was trying to get into the restaurant and locked it. And um, the staff were obviously incredibly shaken up by this, um, this event that had happened. Um, so we contacted Hospitality Action or Candy, our head of people contacted Hospitality Action and um, within the, the next day, there was a team of counselors coming in, talking to our guys. And I think it was that from that moment on, I just thought what an amazing job they did at doing what they said they would do, which is help people that, you know, fall on hard, hard times that work in, the hospitality industry. So I guess that was the first um, first activity that we had done with them, and they were just brilliant. And then through COVID, 
after that, we, we signed up to the employee assistance scheme um, and it's helped countless people since then. COVID was a really good example of that where, you know, they were able to, to give grants out to our people. And um, they have, um, I mean, they, they just do such a great job. And now more than ever with this cost of living crisis, so this awesome, they've, all, they've experienced the 30% increase in applications already. And I think that that's get, only going to get worse. Um, and their applications for financial support and 50% of those applicants can't keep up with household utility bills or paying rent. Uh, and obviously the obvious conclusion to that is that they become, you know, there's a real risk that they become homeless. And on top of that, 35% of those beneficiaries are referencing mental health issues as well. So I think, um, you know, they need support uh, more than ever. And I think the timing, we did it through COVID because they helped a lot of our people. And it just so happens that our row is December 23. And I think probably this year, more than others, hospitality action are going to be needed even more. Um, so I, I guess that's why, uh, why hospitality action. I think, um, you know, it, it's, they, they just need support. Right. That that is a. I mean, there's no better reason to 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 get involved than than you've just said, uh, Chris. It's that's a, a brilliant uh, way way of of telling people what what needs to be done. What are the benefits for sponsors coming on board to help you? Uh, I mean, the obvious one is that you know we the, the two hundred and fifty thousand pounds that we want to raise is going to go directly back to the charity. So the the, the main purpose is, you know by pledging to sponsor our row, um, that money goes back to the charity. So that that's number one. Robbie, Robbie's probably got a bit more. You, you did some. Yeah, um, I think we, we both work in food service, um, but this row isn't about food service. It's about hospitality action and they work across all sectors, restaurants, bars, um, equipment providers, um, hotels, and our campaign is really geared towards reaching out to all of these different businesses. We've got had some fantastic sponsors on board already from equipment providers, um, uh, school caterers, um, and all sorts. And we are reaching out to the whole industry to raise um, to raise awareness of what we're doing and raise awareness about hospitality action. I think from a sponsor's perspective, it's a fantastic story to go to their um, stakeholders with. It's something different. It's something really interesting that they can get behind and something interesting that we have found uh, that sponsors, when they have gone out to their stakeholders, whatever it might be, it might be a monthly newsletter, it might be an AGM, whatever it might be, we've decided to help um, sponsor um, Spirit of Hospitality to raise money for hospitality action. Um, it's a brilliant story, really interesting, and it's got them a lot of traction with uh, with the stakeholders that they're engaging with. So the engagement side of things is incredibly uh, interesting um, for them to look at. So it's um, a bit of a two-way thing. We want to obviously um, raise as much money as possible, but we want to reach as many people as possible as well. And sponsorship doesn't necessarily have to just mean a donation of funds. It can also be um, it could also be a donation of a hotel stay or an experience or something that we can auction off at one of the many well, events. We're going to say that we could use. After <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
you're gonna you're gonna need it. So what kind of sponsorship packages are there available? Because um, people are gonna want to get involved after listening to this. What can they, what can they do? So we have a sponsorship brochure that we are quite happy to share. Um, it's broken up into different levels of sponsorship from uh, entry sponsorship all the way up to a platinum sponsorship. Um, the different levels get different things, sizes of logo on the boat, branding on our materials, shout outs when we're on the ocean across social media, um, appearances at events. We're just trying to set up an appearance at um, a school with one of our sponsors so we can talk to the kids about mental health challenges, about nutrition. Um, the sponsorship brochure is a guideline. I think what Chris and I are willing to do and are keen to do to push forward is to do something different and to get involved in doing something that's specific to that business. So if they have a particular audience that they want to reach, we're more than happy to do things like this. We're more than happy to come in person to speak at events, to bring the boat with us as well, and to tell the story about hospitality action, the people that they help, and why the sponsorship side of things is so important and uh, and and kind of push the story out, push the story out that way. So there are different sponsorship packages available to answer your question. But I think what we're willing to do, because uh, our industry is so broad with so many different sectors within it um, and different things are going to affect people in different ways, we're more than happy to kind of push push whatever they decide to go forward with um, with, with different ideas. Plus, who wouldn't want to pay to see us suffer? That <laughs> has to be the ultimate prize that you'll get to see us suffer with your, with your logo. And I think... When we when we when we uh, first saw the boat and the boat that we were going to buy, I think we just thought it'd be great to have as many of our competitors' logos on it as possible. Um, and you know, genuine dining's kind of got this bright pink kind of colour scheme, and it's quite distinctive. Um, you know, we went as far away from that as possible. Right. Uh, it's not about genuine dining. This is about hospitality people um, and the hospitality industry at large. And I think. It was always something that we really wanted to make sure it wasn't uh, genuine dining getting the promotion. It was very much around, you know, hospitality action. This is why we're doing it. And Mark and his team have been fantastic in, you know, helping us approach people. And I think the other thing that we really want is um, we've, we've managed to secure some really high profile chefs as well to, to produce our food while we're out there. Like um, names, so got, please. Well, I'll, I'll do a couple of name drops. I mean, we've got Tom Kerridge. Uh, which is Who? our, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's, I think he's based in Marlowe. No, obviously everyone knows Tom Kerridge. Um, and Dan Howes, our exec chef. So there you go. What? Too. Uh, <laughs> the others haven't been announced yet. So we can't tell you. Well, but I think from, you know, the idea of that is again to raise the profile of the row. So I think uh, Tom Kerridge is doing our Christmas um, lunch for us. Uh, which will be um, interesting because he needs to make it so that it can be dehydrated and re rehydrated with boiling water. Um, like space again, food. Sorry? Like space food. It is a bit like space yeah. food, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be very interesting to see how it goes because the current food is questionable to say the least, but it's not the most amazing. It's either really spicy or really crunchy. Um, right. And it's very heavy, very calorie rich, lots of fat. So it's quite hard to eat. But yeah, so that that's great. And then obviously the idea is that on Christmas Day, when we're tucking into Chef Tom's fantastic food, we'll obviously be sending back updates on it and telling the story. And I, I think that you know that that's going to be interesting for people to watch our journey. Um, 
less interesting for us to be fair because I've got to spend uh, a long time <laughs> with a Scotsman. Right, and <laughs> listen, listen. I live half the time in Scotland. I know exactly what it's like. It's uh, no, no, no. Can I, to, to quote Spinal Tap, can I raise a practical question at this point? Yeah. How much rowing have you two actually done? You know, um, in real life. Well, a lot more than we had three years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean. So you've been. Tra- how often do you train? It, well, it all really depends. It's, so it's so difficult to answer that question concisely because. It's all very weather dependent. So if you can imagine um, to train for this, the best form of training is obviously getting out on the on the on the boat, our boat yeah. Maria. Um, that we do go out on the Solent when we, whenever we can. It's very weather dependent. When we're doing coastal roads, um, the wind is um, the main thing that we look at. We don't obviously want to be blown into any rocks. So we need to have a window of uh of of low wind where we can get the boat out and then we have to look at things like tides and time in which we actually launch the boat so that everything is kind of um it's fitting into that weather window and right. of course chris and i work full time so we really only have the weekends to go out and do this so in terms of training on the boat we're limited to those two factors when we get out on the ocean obviously that goes completely out the window we have never we've never done a whole week's road for example on the ocean we'll be rowing in two hour stints, two hours on and two hours off for 24 hours a day, which we can't really replicate when we're down in, on the coast because no. we've got other things to contend with such as tide and wind. Um, so training becomes a bit of bit, bit difficult. So as soon as we are, as soon as we leave La Gomera and we leave on the 12th of December, um, 23, yeah. 2023, so next December, as soon as we leave La Gomera, we can't turn around. You can't roll back into the wind. That time of year, the wind will be blowing from east to west, so it will be supporting us as we're going across. We have to be as ready as we possibly can be by that moment, because if we then set, if we step on step onto Maria and we set off from La Gomera, and all of a sudden that we decide a hundred miles in that it's not for us, there's no turning back. Um, and I was told the other day that. Um, the helicopter to be rescued by a helicopter you have to be within 200 miles of the coast helicopters have a 400 mile range on them so we've got 200 miles to uh to um cover before we're out of reach of um, any rescue services which is quite a daunting thought to be honest because that's only two days in should theoretically be only two days in so there's a very short amount of time on the boat until we're out of reach of of land so training for that you can't do the mental no. side of things i think is going to be um more difficult to comprehend when we're on the ocean than any of the physical side of things chris and i are um are working with a guy called um gus barton who's a ocean rowing coach he's um put a program for us together that we're that we're following at the moment and that's all about resilience more about strength and endurance it's about hardening your hands up it's about making sure your grip strength is really strong um there's no mental side mental training for that and i think that's what is going to be the hardest thing to to actually prepare for i think the biggest thing is that two hours on two hours off 24 hours a day till you get there i think that's probably the bit that's um most questionable for me what do you what do you mean by that why is it questionable well it's going to be Hard, it? Yeah, yes, yes. And the other thing that we realised is neither of us like rowing. So we find that rowing is <laughs> it's such a... 
I mean, we spent, so we, we, we're training six days a week at the moment, which tends to be really early in the morning, getting on a rowing machine or doing weights. And um, there's nothing more boring than a rowing machine. I mean, it is dull. So we're doing, you know, two hours on a rowing machine and it's just really boring. And um, it's funny because when you sort of, we have to tow the boat to uh, Limington where we launch it. And um, I'm really excited about getting out on the water with Maria. And you're an hour and in, you're like, this is really dull. <laughs> so I don't know what it's going to be like. Nearly, I mean, hopefully for today, it could be longer on a boat. I mean, I feel like um, we should have done a long bike ride or something to be much more interesting. Yeah. But we hadn't yeah. rode, so we signed up. We hadn't rowed. I'd never, I mean, I met a rowed a sort of rowing boat on a boat in Lake or something. But we learned to row at Fulham Reach um rowing club um on fine boats uh the, the, so two years ago mm. um and that was an adventure as well because we we had been doing a lot of sort of rowing machine work and i think we i think we both fancied ourselves as pretty good to be fair like we were like yeah we're gonna get on this boat and they're gonna be really amazed at how we do and uh we got on this uh fine boat uh me and robbie uh feeling great and then basically nearly fell in uh, right, right. we were hitting each other's oars all the time uh, and we actually said to the coach the guy that was training us so what how, how do you think we did and he uh he literally took a sharp intake of breath and sort of said well uh, yeah got not on. as good as others to be fair yeah. so we went we went and had a beer afterwards we were like gee this is going to be really hard yeah but we can now row so we've done a lot of rowing i think we're probably we're probably pretty proficient at rowing now um yeah, but we, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge mentally. This would be much harder than physically. We did, um, we did, we've so we've had our boat for a little over a year now. So we've had quite a lot of experience of taking her out, and uh, we managed to clock up a hundred hours of rowing, which wow. sounds like a lot. Um, <laughs> but I listened to one of the uh, calls from the safety team. The the minimum minimum amount of rowing that we have to do before we get to the start line is 120 hours so we're almost there but he said if you if you translate that into what that means about being on the ocean it's like running a marathon and training for five minutes it's like yeah. going for a five minute jog before setting off to do a marathon yeah. and it kind of does dawn on you that you can be as prepared as you possibly can be you can do as many hours as possible on your erg at home or in the ocean and all of a sudden you're out in this ginormous expanse of water and nothing really can prepare you for that. So the training is going well. We've got our boat and we've been taking a route and we've become a lot more proficient in how things work on board, how to use the satellite navigation systems, how to use the auto tiller, how to switch positions quickly and be safe on the boat, how to cook meals safely on the boat. Um, so there's a lot of other sort of training that goes on ahead of just I mean, you, you say that, but the last time you tried to cook on board was a disaster. Yeah. I think you could. We, we took a, a guy that's doing it the same year as us. He's a solo uh, rower, a guy called Elliot, who actually weirdly works in the wine, tra wine trade. Um, and uh, so we, Robbie cooked three meals and spilt three meals <laughs> all, over, all over the boat. So I think there's a little, to be fair, I, I think you say that we've got used to it. I think there's probably a bit of work. On that. There's, there's more work. To you've got you've got another year. Exactly. Um, I mean, it will be on top of you before you know it, but you've still got another year. Uh, if people want to get involved, because they're going to want to, 
Where do they go to? How do they do it? Um, they can go to either one of two places. We have a brilliant website, spiritofhospitality.co.uk. Um, on that website, there's a great video on the front page that gives a good indication of what the role is going to be like, some of the conditions that we'll have on board, also some of the um, some of the the, the media uh, channels that the role will be um, be presented across. Um, there's also a sponsorship page uh, on that website where they can download the sponsorship brochure, and then a contact us uh, page where Chris and I's uh, details are on there. Uh, we also have an Instagram page which is spirit of underscore. hospitality with underscores between each word. Uh, so where... at spirit underscore of. of underscore hospitality. That's the one. That's where you get to see all the videos of Robbie uh, making a mess. All Spilling over the boat dinner. With his food. Yeah. Spilling yeah. dinner, yeah. And Brilliant. us trying to learn how to use a boat. I mean, it, that's, I guess Instagram is our main, um, our main medium to get out to people, but the website's got all the sponsorship details on that people can download. Can we follow your progress during the course of the year? Would you come back on the programme yeah. and we can catch up with you and how you're doing in the run-up to the to the race? Absolutely, yeah, we'd love to. Brilliant, yeah. I'd love to have you back. Um, listen, I've spoken to you for more than half an hour now. I still think you're bonkers, Thank but you. I wish you all the very, very best. I'm 100% I'm behind you. And I'm sure everyone listening to this will be too. So thanks, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks, lads. Appreciate Brilliant. it. Brilliant. I hope you enjoyed the programme today. Um, if you haven't subscribed to Recruiting in Hospitality, why not? Just go to Podbean or wherever, wherever you get your podcast, just go there and subscribe because you'll be the first to get uh, new episodes as they come out. You can follow us on our social channels um, on Twitter at catra.com, which is catra, D-O-T-C-O-M. Likewise on Instagram, uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, follow us on, on LinkedIn uh, as well. We'll see you again next time on Recruiting in Hospitality from catra.com. I've been Lance Lotner-Ryan and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.